Hello and welcome to the Horror Hour, a place where we discuss, debate, and disagree on all things horror. But for this episode, I'm actually really excited um, speaking with Andrew Hawkins, who is an executive producer on an upcoming documentary, Mental Health and Horror, a documentary, uh, which I'm really excited about. And we've already got the chance to speak with Jonathan. So I'd like to see, you know, Andrew, what brought you to this project? Jonathan, actually. Uh, I know that he told you the story about how he kind of came up with the idea and the concept of mental health and horror, and it was something that was really uh, a big passion project for him. And I had been working on some other projects, and he had approached me after I had done some work with him and said, I have this concept, I have this idea, and I want to realize it. And I looked at it, and I read his treatment and everything that he had outlined, and immediately I was in. So I told him I would do anything I could to be able to help realize this and make it happen. And that's been what we've been focused on for the last 10 months. And I mean, right now, I think this is the second Indiegogo because I think the first one was a huge success. And um, for the folks that are listening and watching, I will put all those links below because you should go check it out. Well, um, let me clarify. Um, we're not doing a second Indiegogo. Oh, sorry. What not we've done. Oh, it's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, again, this is a, a thing that the reason why we're doing an Indiegogo is because you're exactly right. We had a really successful Kickstarter and that was our first round of crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. And we had so many people message us and say, I missed the Kickstarter. What can I do? So we talked to Indiegogo and their team said, we want you to do an in-demand campaign. So we created an Indiegogo in-demand for mental health and horror for everybody who missed out and everybody who didn't know about what we were doing the first time. So now okay. we've got that campaign active until March 18th. Which again, folks, just go check it out. I mean, again, I one of the great things that uh, I think as when we spoke with him and just reading about this is again, the fact that I think with horror films or just horror in general there is an awful stigma about yeah. how it's terrible and it's bad for you and it's not good towards your mental health so i'm really excited um to hear you guys break that down um so i guess with my question then with that is you know what are your thoughts on the stigma in regards to you know horror films yeah well you know it kind of ties into you asking me why i decided to make this documentary happen. And it's because I grew up in a very tumultuous environment. And horror was a big catharsis for me and like a big, you know, warm blanket and like something that got me through some of the worst times of my life. But the stigma that happens around the discussion of horror is really, really ugly and occasionally violent and very harmful. And one of my biggest things about doing mental health and horror is that we want this documentary to positively affect people and make effective change in that discussion. When someone goes to a counselor and says, I'm having a terrible time in my life and I'm watching a nightmare on Elm street 
and seeing Nancy get through everything is helping me get through what I'm dealing with. We don't want that counselor to say, okay, well, that's a bad thing. And now you need more treatment and you can't watch horror movies anymore mm. because horror movies make you, uh, you know, th this is the, this is the stigma. Horror movies turn you into a crazed killer or warp your mind or, you know, do something negative to your well-being. And that's not true. There are so many horror movies that have so many great stories and so many great characters and figures that we can look to to help us get through those dark periods in our life. So we want this to bridge that conversation and educate people better about how horror movies can have a positive impact and a positive effect. So when someone goes and sees that mental health care provider, they know that that avenue of conversation is open and that they're not going to be ostracized or stigmatized or mistreated or anything negative like that. We want this to be something that not only are we having key figures from the horror world and stars that we love from our horror movie favorites speak on films and characters and their influences. We also want fans who have taken horror into their livelihoods and built their careers around their love for horror. And then on top of that, mental health care providers, because a huge chunk of the documentary is from the educated perspective and from the medical field, from psychology, from psychotherapy, from so many others who have certifications and accreditations and PhDs and work for places like the Mayo Clinic and other major uh, hospitals and institutions like that to talk on this from that perspective and actually have it be concrete. So that's a big, big goal. And that's one of the reasons why I believe, you know, this is worth putting all the time and effort into to make happen. I, and I, uh, that's, I, I love hearing that because I think that's what gives, uh, to me when I heard that, um, like that gives this project more, um, uh, oomph in a sense, like I, sure, I yeah. like, wow, we, we want to be are... credible. We want to have people be like, holy shit, these guys are serious. Yeah. And but I... we don't want to take ourselves too seriously because, you know, we all <laughs> love what we love, you know? Oh, no, that's true. I, I, I mean, well, for me, like, Honestly, if I just had a rough day or honestly, if I'm in like my highest point of anxiety, nothing mm -hmm. calms me down more than putting in a slasher. Just is. Oh, yeah. I, I, I totally I can't help it. It's it's what I love. Um, and I'll put I, on Jason lives any day to get over a bad work day <laughs> or like, you know, just have a good time for a little while. You know, a, a good slasher, throw on something like Return of the Living Dead, something that's got, you know, a good positive energy to it and just wash away all the pain from the day. Exactly. And um, I mean, and it's funny because actually the um, photo behind me, because I saw that you yeah. guys had just finally announced, which I'm really excited, Alex Noyer. Yes, and yes. I mean, even his film, A Sound of Violence, I thought was a great way to talk about mental health as well. So I yeah. can't wait to see that interview and... Um, Alex got passionate with us. He brought yeah. that energy. You know, <laughs> we were getting into it with him and he was uh, someone that I, I loved being able to have speak with us because he comes not only from the horror world, but also the music world and the international cinema world. And he's just got that drive that when we start talking about things like stigmas and how horror isn't respected 
in certain cinema circles. He just went in. So I can't wait to share that interview with everyone. I am very excited about that. He um, he is so passionate. And I think... Uh, yeah. and, and a brilliant cares. filmmaker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he just I love that he champions, uh, you know, indie filmmaking and just to hear how much totally. he loves the horror community. I just I can only imagine um, how great that interview is going to be. Uh, and I also like the fact that you guys are also getting um, I think uh, Jonathan had said uh, mental health professionals from around the world. Yes. Yes. We do have to get, like, uh, that an international cast uh, because uh, we have mental health professionals from the United States. We have mental health professionals from Canada, Scotland, UK. And I, I wouldn't necessarily call him a professional in the mental health field, but he has studied therapy and Jungian psychology and so many different influences to put into his work. If you're familiar with American McGee, who made American McGee's Alice and Alice Madness Returns, oh. he is someone who has studied psychology and therapy and trauma his entire life and after he created you know levels in doom 2 and did quake he went on to put all of that influence into his alice games and everything he's done since so talking to him was incredible because he's incredibly well versed and studied in these things so he he's like the closest i, I wouldn't say closest exactly but he's right up there next to the people who have spent their entire lives and gotten their phds and uh certs and everything to be mental health providers we, we really do have an interesting and incredible cast of speakers and contributors for the documentary and that's a big part of our entire motivation and our mission for this is we want to have so many people get so many important perspectives that really connect with everybody in the audience. I no, I think that's great. I mean, again, I've I've seen the cast list, and you know, I just I honestly can't wait because I've spoken with some of them just in general, and I'm just I, you know, like I said, mental health is very important to me because I myself growing up, you know, struggled with it. Uh, you know, I'm you know. I can think of how like the coping mechanisms that I've built just from mm -hmm. watching horror films and films in general, but also, yeah. you know, how to manage it. And I think more than ever this past two years has been hell for everyone. And God, yeah. we're going through some hell now. And um, I think it's very important. So I think the fact that uh, you guys are putting out this, this project and putting forth this effort, I really, I'm excited to see how that's going to impact. And as you also stated, um, you don't want something to also be very, well, in a way, I'll, I'll paraphrase, preachy, you want somebody to get enjoy it, but also get yes. something out of it. And so I think totally, that's great totally. that you've got this fun cast of characters. And I guess if I could ask then, what has yeah. been one of your favorite interviews that you've either got to you know, witness or maybe partake in or? Yeah, there actually are uh, interviews that I've conducted um, just because oh. of uh, the way that our process works for our filming. Um, as the executive producer, line producer of the documentary, it's a big part of my job to make sure that everything's coordinated and scheduled and, you know, all of our tasks are accomplished and we get everything locked in for footage and 
you know, sent to the editor and, you know, everything we do. And I, I have to say my team is uh, absolutely incredible. Our entire team behind mental health and horror is amazing. You know, Jonathan as director, Dave Lawson Jr. as co-executive producer, uh, because his work, you know, with Rustic mm-hmm. and Aaron and Justin, I mean, those guys have been making just some of the most incredible stories in horror in the past decade and a half plus. And to have Dave be a part of this with us is just, you know, such, such a huge honor. And then we've got our lead producers. We've got Alice Collins. We've got BJ Colangelo and we've got Zena Dixon. And then we've got Tim Eidelman, who is our motion graphics designer. And we've got Jason Kozlarik, who is our art director, who also does all of the art and layouts for Fangoria. Yeah. So he is one of the just, I'll, I'll say it, you know, greatest figures among many in the art design horror world right now. And then we've got Shannon Isaacowski, who is also a fine artist and oil painter, who is our director of photography. And he shoots just incredible. Uh, every, every promo you see, all of our uh, preview videos that mm-hmm. we've put out, you know, some of them have been with videographers that we've had to bring on internationally, but all of the ones that Shane has shot, he has really shaped the look of this documentary into what it looks like right now. And Lindsay, who is our editor, is just incredible. Lindsay Ragone is so good at what she does that when she puts together our living edit for the documentary Mm -hmm. and we work with her and we go through the process of scripting to inserting clips and making sure everything's tight. I mean, she, she has such a great sight vision into her role that I, I couldn't be, you know, more happy working with anybody else in the world. She is completely locked in as the right person for this. And it's been great. So, you know, gushing about the whole team, uh, <laughs> we have had times when Jonathan is doing the interviews and he's primarily been doing the lion's share of all of them. Mm-hmm. And then there have been times where I have stepped in and been the interviewer. And one of my favorite, because I've, I've loved every interview I've done. And I think Jonathan can say the same thing, but I had such a great time interviewing Kelly Maroney for the documentary. It was the, the most, you know, wonderful discussion where epiphanies were had and references to classic horror that she grew up with talking about her influences and, you know, what shaped her and then her perspectives on how horror community members come together and how we as horror fans are in the world. It, it really was an interview filled with so much, you know, warmth and thoughtfulness that I can't wait. I mean, I'll, I'll keep saying it, but I cannot <laughs> wait for everyone to see it. That sounds amazing. I, hmm. I, I would also have and to... Kelly's just wonderful. We were mm-hmm. even watching Chopping Mall last night again because, you know, <laughs> it's a 77-minute just clips by awesome ride, perfect for 3 a.m. after a long day of 
more more shooting and filming. <laughs> Chopping Mall is a great one. I honestly, I just one of the best. It. Yeah. What was it? Um, Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. Yeah. I saw I, first time ever I watched that last night, and I was like, I, I love how that's getting a new life right now. Ninety nine cent rental. I'm like, I can't pass mm-hmm. this up. Yep, Vinegar Syndrome, I... Brad Henderson, all those guys <laughs> bringing Eric's Revenge back. So great. But, uh, you know, you speak on the horror community, and I think that's one of the greatest things about this, because I would even say from us starting out as uh, new in this, um, I guess, industry in a sense, but hmm. the horror community is so, you know, tightly knit. I mean, they support yeah. each other. And I just think that's very interesting that I don't think a lot of people from the outside, especially I think in cinema, I, I don't think they they see that as well as because I think, um, as you had mentioned, like horrors just look down upon in, in the you know, <laughs> world of cinema, too. Yeah, yeah. And, which is awful. Just completely disregarded as an art form in some circles. And, you know, I, I've had conversations with international markets and uh, peers and um it, it's no joke. It is tough to sell horror. But then, you know, you have breakthroughs like to 10. And, oh, what a you know, goal. when a movie like that hits and gets the palm d'or, it is a victory for our genre and a victory for the fans. It's like we, we won, you know. <laughs> and it's so good to see anybody break through. You know, and again, it's it's a woman-led and directed film. Mm-hmm. It's uh, an incredible story, and it it made it. You know, so I really feel like the the winds of change are blowing. You know, without being too like poetic and ridiculous, and you know all of that. <laughs> I I really do think that there's a shift where so many key figures in contemporary horror are so talented that they are bridging that forced gap between the international cinema world and horror because it's undeniable you know like again alex and you know sound of violence it's a great story it's a horror movie and it's undeniably an art film And it is one of those examples that is just, you know, you, you can't try to argue that it isn't cinema because it absolutely is. So, you know, we're, we're champions of that stuff. You know, we, we've got a team of like film archivists and, you know, uh, art appreciation and journalists and, you know, people who have been doing this for decades, you know, like Jonathan and I, that's how we crossed paths over the last decade and a half was just by being in the entertainment journalism world. And to eventually, you know, come together and make this documentary happen. It's something that I'm incredibly proud to be involved in because it feels like, you know, championing horror on the page and, you know, publishing articles and, you know, uh, really putting effort into like premiere film analysis <laughs> on the level of like, you know, academic uh, writing 
into talking about something like uh i, I won't even say dream warriors because that's like too high on the bar for me uh i'll say like uh, oh God, I love dream child you know okay. like putting the same level of writing as you would an editorial on amadeus into dream child is like the kind of thing <laughs> that brings you know that certain type of fan to other fans in the community who are like no i take horror seriously and yes i will break it down like i was writing a paper on um kubrick or you know john ford or any other you know major name that's mm -hmm. studied in university like, why not do that for Jim Wynorski? Why not do that for Mick Garris or Stuart Gordon, for God's sakes? You know, <laughs> Stuart Gordon deserves that kind of appreciation where when people write about from beyond, you know, it's one that I, I think absolutely deserves like that kind of uh, <sighs> professionalism and attention and, you know, love. So I'm, I'm totally like, horror absolutely can be cinema but it can also be schlock and just fun you know oh yeah a great hour and a half good time and popcorn <laughs> muncher you know everyone's sitting around the couches riffing just having a blast because I, I love that experience too I, I it's one of the biggest things i missed um over the past few years was actually just going um sit in this crowded cinema watch a horror film that is yeah. either going to be like you said, it could be one of the best things ever, or it could still be the worst, but you're still going to enjoy it because everybody is going to get back to it. And I yes. think it's such a great experience. And honestly, again, that that calms me. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm totally a midnight movie guy. Like, I'm all about cult cinema. I love, you know, the extreme uh, movies of, like, Jodorowsky and David Lynch and, you know, John Waters and so many others. Um, like I'll, I'll say, you know, hell yeah, let's all go to the theater, have it, you know, packed into one of those old classic seventies, uh, boxes that has like 30 seats and everyone just have a few drinks and watch like Santa Sangre and then follow it up with like pink flamingos or some shit, you know, <laughs> and it's it oh my can God. for such a great night, you know, it really can. <laughs> And I, I love groups that do that, you know. I'm very thankful to be able to be a part of uh, things like that, you know, and and to be able to champion that stuff too, because it really does a lot for people, you know. Just like the the energy of us talking about it, you know, it's making me happy as hell. And I'm thinking oh, about heard. the best times I've ever had in the theater, just loving the movie on the screen, and everybody coming together and having the greatest night ever. I, my gosh, um, this was first Sundance I've ever, you know, it was virtual, but still first Sundance yeah. I've ever attended. And I yeah. can tell you, I wish I could have seen, um, because even though watching it on my, my monitor, I just know it didn't do justice as much as I could have sitting in a theater and watching There's Something in the Dirt. Because I just I've heard that so good. I just discovered these guys. And so when yeah. you mentioned Dave Lawson Jr., I'm like, I... I know who that is now and I can't wait to see it. Yeah. They've been talking about it and it's like one that is so high on my watch list. How was it for you? For it was waiting. just I was like, I need to find out who these folks are. I need to look into yeah. their movies. I'm missing out clearly because the dialogue just back and forth, but also all the effort they put into it. And you could also the way they're they're just 
their journey into obsession. I was mm-hmm. just another way I was just, you could look at it from other aspects and it was just blew yeah, check my out mind. Spring, everything else they've ever done. I mean, they have made so, so many great films. Yeah. I just like. Those guys kill it. Yeah. yeah it, it, I want to see that on the big screen. Um, totally. Totally. That's, that's where, you know, I'm going to be as soon as it gets into the theater, you know, and it, it can be the indie, it can be the AMC, wherever it's going to, you know, land. Like I am absolutely going in and oh, yeah, I have to see that again. And just, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, um, I guess one of the other things then too, you know, is there something that ties you to this, uh, you know, personally, I guess. Yeah, well, like I said, you know, uh, I grew up in a family that really appreciated film. Um, my uh, grandmother's side of the family, uh, they were part of the Dust Bowl migration. You know, they were Okies and they did the whole Grapes of Wrath thing going across the country and landing in Los Angeles in Southern California. So, you know, that's kind of how my family got over to this part of the world and they you know raised me telling me stories about going to like grauman's chinese theater when abbott and costello meet frankenstein premiered and then the house lights came up and right next to my grandma and her sister was lon chaney jr and full wolfman sitting as a promotional jump scare like premiere thing you know and they're just like ah having the best time of their (laughs) life and that stuff you know was like part of it all because i was raised on universal monsters movies uh i watched a ton of old tapes that had been recorded off of tv that had stuff like the omen and halloween 2 and Mm. like uh i i just got into this thing of like i would watch a scary movie and then it would you know terrify me and i would get like kinder trauma you know like that traumatic moment in a horror movie that gives you nightmares for days weeks months years you know and i would just get grabbed and like no it's gonna be okay so i equated horror with family And when I was going through really tough times at home, horror was that kind of solace because it would make me think about being comforted and being cared for and being protected and being safe. So I I think about that. And then I think about so many others who grew up, who were either abused or latchkey kids or, you know, mistreated in any number of ways who have grown to love horror movies you know because sometimes it's movies sometimes it's games sometimes it's music sometimes it's art sometimes it's comics or you know uh edgar Allan poe stories or lovecraft or stephen king books i mean when it comes to that kind of stuff it's an escape mm-hmm. and if you're going through uh, uh, hell on earth and you can turn to something like uh, Ray Bradbury and feel some kind of warmth 
from like something wicked this way comes or uh, October country or, you know, whatever it can get you through it. And it can be, you know, something that even goes beyond catharsis. It can actually, like you were talking about, there are so many stories in the horror genre Mm -hmm. that can help you survive because there are so many survivors in horror you know, you've got God, Lori Strode. You've got Kirsty from the Hellraiser series. You've got, you know, uh, everybody that Kelly Maroney ever played. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there, there are so many, you know, uh, amazing people that you can look at and say they are, you know, a beacon of hope to get through the dark. And that's a thing. That's a big thing that horror did for me. Um, but also I love the thrill of it too, because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I did have that, you know, with the, the parents, right. Oh, you can't watch this. So me being a, a rebellious punk, I'm like, yeah, I can. I'll stay up until two in the morning and watch it. I'll put on Cinemax at, you know, three o'clock and watch Return of the Living Dead 3 or Phantasm 3 or Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, you know, when in the early 90s, the rule of three ruled the yes. world. So <laughs> the blob, you know, was one was for me one. that I, I watched because my, my great aunt, my grandmother's sister, who was there for the Lon Chaney and Grauman's thing, you know, she was a horror fanatic, like a real, you know, not, not in an extreme harmful way, but like wanted to get every single new tape that Full Moon and Charlie Band and uh, awesome. Concord and... Uh, Oh God, Roger Corman, uh, we're putting out like, she was like, get me the horror sci-fi, get me the new horror VHS tapes from, you know, the store. I'm going to put them on the shelf next to my collection of, uh, Star Trek next generation tapes. And, you know, we're going to watch them and we're going to have blankets on the couch and you're going to have crunch bars and soda pop and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, the blob was one, um, and I, I love looking back on it because since growing up with it, I've um, wound up becoming great friends with someone who actually worked on the special effects for the film. Uh, uh, an effects creator and artist uh, named Chet Zar, who's also done a lot of the animations for the band Tool. If you go to a Tool show and you see all of those animated uh, projections, that's all Chet. Um, but Chet worked oh, wow. with, uh, well, Chet and uh, a couple of others like Cam DeLeon and Alex Gray and, you know, um, but we'll, we'll save the tool talk. Uh, <laughs> Chet worked with Altarian Studios and Tony Gardner, and he was one of the lead sculptors and one of the designers on the blob specifically of the body crew because the special effects team was split in two they had the bodies shop and then they had the blob effects shop <laughs> with all the bladders and all of the, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the gelatin, but uh, it would like pop everywhere and everyone would be like slipping and sliding all over the place. And it was just great. Um, but there's, there's like a key moment in that film. There's many of them. 
you know, that movie has some of the best effects scares in any film ever made. I, I really firmly believe that, you know, I love Kevin Yeager. I love Rick Baker. I love, you know, Dick Smith. I love uh, all of those, you know, major huge guys. Um, but when the kid, little Eddie, who gets pulled under the water in the sewer pops back out and he's half melted and his jaw is down to his, you know, collar. That was one that destroyed me for years. Oh, wow. Just nightmares and like fear of that happening. And, you know, that was like a real key kinder trauma. And then another huge one for me was um, in uh, Nightmare on Street 3, the Freddy worm or the Freddy snake. Oh, yeah. When he bursts out of the floor and starts eating Patricia Arquette from her feet forward. You know, that was, oh my God, that, that was nightmare fuel for years. But, you know, it was again, the, the comfort of it's going to be okay. And that, that's like a huge critical part of my background is like, I wouldn't love horror as much as I do if I didn't relate horror to family. Yeah, no, that is, I like that. I, I don't know how I relate to horror, but I certainly can also say, you know, it's it's something that I just surrender to. And so I, mm. you know, it's, I, I look at it as something that, you know, comforts me. So that's a yeah. really, I like that. What was your first horror film? Mine, mine was Dream Warriors. I was four and I had <laughs> uh, my mom's boyfriend's mom uh, babysitting me. And I don't know if it'll just like come out on beta or, you know, what, but, you know, that got popped in and I was just like, okay, here we go. You know? And then like a year later, I think I got taken to Scrooge in theaters and for a little kid, for like a five-year-old Scrooge has some dark, dark (laughs) moments. Like, Oof. <laughs> very much a, a horror comedy that doesn't get nearly enough love oh, that... uh, but it's always a christmas favorite you know i i mean i gosh we had the vhs <laughs> growing up it was a staple in yeah. our house but i would oh, say um it's the martini funny. with the eyeball but yeah yeah what was yours man well so my family they are not big into horror i don't know i i am but they are not and so mm-hmm. i still yeah. remember it i was six years old Parents were in the kitchen. I know ex- they were cooking chili and rice. It was in the evening. It was ah, our old living good. room, our old living room setup, and it was yeah. alien. I should oh, be yeah. watching it, but I remember I couldn't <sighs> move. I was terrified, but I loved it, and that gave me nightmares forever. And they're like, "You shouldn't be watching <laughs> that." I'm like, "Well, you like you saw me watching it, but you didn't change the channel." And then, um, and then, like right after that, I saw The Exorcist, and that was a whole nother situation. At what um, age? Six. Oh no! Yeah, I, I. You know, I actually watched The Exorcist two and three before I watched one. It, and three, oh. the stuff with Brad Dorif uh, always got me. Um, and yeah, yeah, Exorcist three has the greatest jump scare in history. Is what <laughs> you know everyone always champions. Uh, but two, you know, gets a really bad rap, I think. And I think in two, there's some really damn good moments. Same thing with like the omen two, you know, Ooh, but right. God being six and watching the exorcist. Cause I had seen clips as a little kid 
And that was enough. Cause sometimes you just like turn the corner and look at the TV and all of a sudden you see Reagan like flip her head around and oh. you're gone. Like <laughs> I, I can tell you to this day though, uh, I, 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 I haven't watched it since because really? it was, Oh, it terrified me for forever because I also grew up, you know, in the Midwest. I had like, my neighbors were great, but they were very religious. And when they had yeah. heard that I had watched that, Oh, I man. kid you not, it was about that's going to happen to you if you don't behave. And like just all these, like they used it against me. And so to this day, I still, when I think about The Exorcist, it, it takes me back. And so I've never watched it since um, mm -hmm. because there was just, there were so many nights like I, when I was going to bed, I was like, what if I get possessed? Like it was. Ooh. Yeah. Well, and, that's and the thing too, you know, talking about stigmas, the stigma of, uh, if we want to get into like Bible Belt and Christianity, yeah. things like that, you know, um, I have been to like Christian camp around the campfire burnings, you know, like the counselors and the youth group leaders tell the kids, bring your CDs and your VHS tapes and your comic books and your books and <sighs> your video games and everything that's evil. And we're going to throw it into the fire and praise Jesus. And I've been to those. Like, Ooh. you know, I, I lived for a period of time in my youth uh, moving out of, you know, Orange County and then going into the Bible Belt. And that shit was like eye opening, you know. The, the thing that really got me before I witnessed my first uh, Christian book burning was I was on, yeah, I know, right? I was on a bus going to uh, the, the, you know, Christian camp in like uh, uh, June or something like that. I'm, I'm trying to remember when, uh, third or fourth grade or whatever. And I had an issue of the max. If you remember that old uh, comic and the MTV mm -hmm. um, animated series great of series. the purple guy in the outback. And yeah, you know, uh, it, it's just like one of my favorite uh, because I was totally like a liquid television kid on top of also. Oh, like, yeah. That was Eon Flux, uh, mm -hmm. Oddities, The Head, you know. <laughs> So I got a copy of like the first issue of the Max, um, Sam, uh, I, I forget. And I'm reading it on the bus, you know, on the way to Christian camp. And all of a sudden my youth group leader gets in my face and he looks at the page and it's a scene when a character is in a laundromat. And if you know, you know, and it's uh, mature. And he's like, Andrew, give me that. You know, with that smug kind of like, you know, you're doing something wrong. And he fucking ripped it up in front of my face and threw it in the trash on the bus. And I hadn't been given the heads up to like bring my shit from home because they were going to burn all of my bad stuff. That was like night two. It was like, all right, everybody, let's <laughs> go and hide oh my down. God. Yeah. 
come on after we have dinner and the whole like sing along and uh, praise group, we're going to go down to the water and we're going to get by the fire and we're going to have worship, you know? And it turned into all of these like preteens and, you know, teenagers and like uh, young adults, uh, youth group leaders and counselors of this camp, like almost cult like chanting around this, you know, campfire in praise and worship of Christ and God and everything while people were like throwing their fucking corn CDs into the fire. And this was like maybe a year after life is peachy had come out and like, you know, horror tapes were thrown into the fire and heavy metal CDs and like uh, comic books and Nintendo games, like, uh, you know, a, a copy of uh, fucking Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street got thrown in. And I'm, I'm just watching all this shit that I wish I had. That is burn horrifying. Up, you know, and I'm like, this is uh, bad. <laughs> so that kind of thing, you know, there are like some people out there who, when it comes to stigmas and, you know, uh, attacking the the stuff that like we love as mm-hmm. like horror fans and fans of music and fans of art you know it's it's all of these measures of control and you know sometimes it can turn into fascism and oppression and really really destructive hurtful stuff but yeah um depending on who you're talking about sometimes there can be a person who's just a total jerk about you talking about how much you love uh, something like, oh, ghoulies or critters, you know? And they can be like, oh, those are stupid. But then there can be someone who says, oh, you watched The Exorcist? Well, you're going to get possessed and you're going to go to hell. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And I, I am like so against that in every way. You know, because I, I really feel like uh, horror specifically, and, you know, again, this reaches out to other forms of art, uh, literature, music, uh, games, and, you know, um, fine art. And horror can really do some good, you know, when it's seen by the person who needs it. And if someone's going to swoop in and be like an oppressive finger wagging force saying, no, you can't watch Halloween because it's evil. (laughs) I'm like, fuck off. You know, don't, don't try to put someone down and assert that kind of control over them. You know, let them if conditions are appropriate and you know, it's not like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, show the toddler uh, <laughs> Halloween yeah. six, you know, like it, there's, there's a time and place to, you know, get into that stuff. And sometimes it just happens by happenstance. Like that's mm-hmm. the whole reason why I saw fucking dream warriors when I was four, because I had someone who was irresponsible as shit around me. But then again, <laughs> you know, sometimes someone walks into a room and sees Frankenstein on TV or Dracula, and that's their first exposure to horror. So it can just happen, you know, by fate. But at the same time, if you're going to introduce somebody 
to mm-hmm. something. I always think, and this is again, like kind of the, the journalism brain and like the curator mindset, like, oh, you like this and you're interested in that? Well, you should check this out, you know, that kind of thing. Like you like Linnea Quigley? Check out Slimeball Bullarama or Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers if you like, you know, Trash and Sleep. Or like, you want to see a killer Santa? Check out Silent Night, Deadly Night. And if you want to see something that's really, really fun and absurd, watch <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Oh my God. It's a blast. <laughs> Talking about Eric's revenge. I want to see Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, Part 2. I want to see him come back. Oh, my God. Uh, yes. Bring back Ricky. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with people <sighs> treating others badly for what they love as long as it's not harmful and hurtful towards others. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you love something that's causing somebody else harm, I think that's wrong. But if you love something like, you know, a Lucio Fulci movie and, you know, uh, George Romero, you know, like if you love Day of the Dead and, you know, you are told by somebody you can't watch that because A, B and C. I don't agree with that. And it's like partially rooted in freedom and, you know, a little bit rooted in going against the like oppressive nature of people who try to control power over others and stuff. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you get into the conversation of examples of how horror movies have hurt others and caused deaths and people bring up things like Warlock and Child's Play 3 And it's always really, really tough to have those conversations. And that's one of the things that, you know, does get brought up by some of the people in the mental health profession world in the documentary is when, you know, someone references what happened to that poor kid in the UK after Child's Mm -hmm. Play 3 came out or that poor kid in uh, Canada after Warlock came out, you know, Um, I don't I don't want to paraphrase it because it's such a delicate subject. But that is uh, some discussion that we broach. So, you know, with those kinds of conversations, and if you're hearing clicky uh, <laughs> noise in the background, it's the little one running around being a cute little doggo dude. Um, <laughs> Dookie doggo being the best. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that needs to be discussed by people who understand how to broach the subject from a very delicate mindset, you know, and that's one of the biggest reasons why we're so appreciative to have people from the mental health profession and the mental health world and care providers and, Mm -hmm. you know, again, psychologists, therapists, psychotherapists, and more um, to be able to bring their insights to that discussion because, you know, it's tough, like perfect example of this. The, the whole thing about, you know, video games are causing people to commit mass murder. So we got to get rid of Doom. We got to get rid of Mortal Kombat. We got to get rid of Night Trap, you know. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff is methods of control against others. And, you know, it, it needs careful, researched discussion to 
combat that kind of censorship and restriction of our ability to be able to consume the art and media that we want to, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's, there's a lot in, in that regard when it comes to the, the discussion of stigma around horror and, you know, other things too. Um, but that's one of the reasons why, you know, the, the team really came together for this because not only is horror cathar- cathartic for many, it's also something that people hold so close that they need to hear this, you know, brought up and delved into by people who they can look up to and connect with and feel like, you know, they're, they're able to resonate with. No, I, I mean, honestly, it, I, I love the fact that this is not only geared, geared towards, you know, um, fans, but also, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, but you know, it's geared also towards fans. Geared, I, if we I didn't love, love horror, we wouldn't be making it. <laughs> I, I love the idea though, of also kind of, you know, of helping re-educate the, you know, some of our mental health professionals, but also I think again, having them in this also, I think, as we'd stated, it just adds levity um, to it. And it just comes, you know. Oh, you mean, you mean like a, a legitimacy and uh, Thank you, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there are a few people who tell jokes in the documentary. You know, it's not all serious. It's not all dry. Some people kind of get into it, especially when they, um, oh my God, we had a wonderful interview uh, that Jonathan and I uh, sometimes, you know, we'll kind of co-conduct. He'll do like an hour and then I'll throw in for like the last 15 minutes with a couple of extra uh, questions for, you know, who's with us in front of the camera. Um, And we had uh, a pair of incredible filmmakers, um, Krista Michaels and Brandy Bryant, uh, who are currently shooting their next short uh, called Manted. And I I highly recommend uh, going and checking out their work um, if you want to, you know, see some really, really great uh horror from a couple of amazing trans women filmmakers who are bringing their love for the genre into their uh whole you know artistic vision uh-huh. of what you know their their stories can be and how they're presented to us so they do just amazing amazing work and brandy is a tattoo artist so on top of being a filmmaker and a practical effects creator and an actress, she does tattooing. And she has a sharp wit because she's also a stand-up comedian. Oh, so goodness, when we're talking about people being <laughs> shitty around the conversation of horror being cinema and, you know, uh, stigmas, she's just like throwing out, you know, all this stuff, slinging darts at people for being ignorant and bigoted and you know everything um and it's great you know we really do have uh, a wonderful mix of contributors it's been so rewarding to have so many people sit with us and give us their thoughts and some people bring an energy and air of seriousness because they're from you know the medical profession in that world Mm -hmm. and they're citing a lot of research and they're going into a lot of discussion about very clinical things. And then there are people who are in the creative space who are just going off about, you know, how much they love the same stuff that we do. I'm, I'm really excited. I, I cannot wait. Um, 
I'm getting a little like choked up just thinking about this because I think it's mm. going to help so many. I mean, yeah. I'm excited. We'd, we'd for love it. for it too. You know, if but, it can positively affect anybody. Yeah. And uh, again, I will put, you know, down below, I'll put the links, everything for the Indiegogo, I, because I want everyone to go support. And then just, you know, I, I have to ask them to, as, as a thing to close up then, uh, you know, this past year, just if yeah. we look in the past year, what was a horror phenomenon that just kind of shocked you? Something that it could have been just, I mean, I have two things that, that come to mind, but that just... Mm -hmm you know, surprised you, shock and awe, or that you were just happy to see, I would say? Uh, I mean, it's like defined phenomena. Um, because <laughs> I start thinking of like, you know, again, to 10, like being a release that shook the entire core of the international cinema world. But then yeah. I also think about Kayla Janice's incredible documentary, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched from Severin and David Gregory and all of them coming out and being one of the best retrospective documentaries on a horror subject in forever. It's so good. The folk horror doc is amazing for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, but what are yours? Because I might think of a couple more. <laughs> uh, well, mine is just because I, I loved how divisive it was among the horror community, but Malignant. Hmm. I, yeah, I love Malignant. I yes. loved it. Yes. I mean, yes. the fact that Gabriel. James Wan goes to the studio says, hey, I want to fucking make this movie. You're going to give me the money. And I'm like, oh okay. His uh, his girlfriend wrote it. I'm trying to remember. Like, it, it's, it's an incredible story from a, a woman creator. And it's a fucking blast. It, oh I God. love Malignant so much. And when I watched it, I'm like, oh, my God. It's like... <laughs> uh you know kinetic and high energy and fun and hilarious and i'm like picking out moments that i'm like oh my god i think they you know took inspiration for like the original kojak the night stalker movies uh with the dad from uh christmas story um there, there's one that takes place in seattle which is the same place that i think malignant takes place mm -hmm. where there's like the whole underground you know so the, the catacombs underneath uh, Seattle, the old city, all that, all that shit. I just absolutely loved it. And it turns into a fucking hammer movie. And the like uh, fog rolls in and you see like the old Dracula carriage and he's trying to, the detective and malignant hunt down Gabriel. <laughs> and it's so damn good. Um, the chair throw in that movie when oh I God. saw it in the theaters, <laughs> I howled. I was destroyed by that. <laughs> and then the whole thing about the the teratoma uh, tumor twin, yeah, you know, which is uh, my my current band. Uh, we're playing the Whiskey a Go Go this weekend. The teratoma tumor band. Uh, we do covers of it. all horror themes. No, I wish. Um, <laughs> It reminded me of the dark half, the Stephen King uh, story oh, that was adapted by um, George Romero, and it's so goddamn good, you know. I uh, a long time. Yes, yes, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So I was like, "Holy shit!" And you know, the cameos, uh, everyone who showed up, um, it was just such a damn blast. So I love *Malignant*. I think it's one of the most fun 
Uh, oh my God. I, I remember we, we had an interview with Michael Kennedy. He was our very first interview for the documentary. I am so jealous about that. That's he's oh the my reason God. I he, know of this because I saw yes. the little clip you guys did <clears throat> and I ended up buying one of those shirts that says, uh, you don't know what you're, yeah. or you're missing out or, you know, yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah. I, I have mine ready for tomorrow's shooting. Um, oh my God. Uh, his input was so wonderful. Um, you know, he, he started off the, uh, principal photography. So he essentially launched our entire, you know, slate of filming for the last nine months. And, uh, it, it was just wonderful to have him so with us because I absolutely love freaky. Um, oh my God, that was such uh, a fun, you know, uh, body swap, uh, just, wonderful story and cast of characters with you know such such a fun uh and totally embracing like all the best aspects of what a great you know enjoyable horror movie can be it's so well written you know michael just did an amazing job and i can't wait to see what he does next but yeah i i love freaky i also you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are the, I think that's probably in a long time, I would also say for a while, like that was a really great representation of queer characters. Absolutely. Yes. I, yes. I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. I was like, I, I appreciate that. I love that because, you know, I don't get to see that that often, I feel like. And in fact, it's it, yeah. Freaky was just incredible. I wish I could have saw. Yeah. I wish I would have saw that in theaters. But unfortunately, I, I didn't get the opportunity. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I would say, aside from like, I can't wait to see what he does next. And like, totally. I'm, I'm obsessed okay. with uh, just freaky. And I would say actually also Hail Ratma was the other thing mm-hmm. that, um, yeah. yeah, that was my favorite thing to see everyone's um, fan-made drawings. And mm-hmm. just like everyone connected with Ratma and like, who knew that the latest VHS was going to land? And it I, reminds me too, Fear Street. Fear Street was kind of a little phenomena for a little bit. That was so surprisingly good. And I remember, well, it made me feel yeah. old when I watched it. And they I, I love how the, he's back. I love how everyone is back on the R.L. Stein train. And I share a birthday with R.L. Stein and Sigourney oh, Weaver, October 8th. <sighs> We all have that, you know. He is my favorite final girl, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, she's amazing. Um, Someone that I've always looked up to, someone who I think is an incredible actress and performer and all around just amazing person. Uh, Sigourney Weaver is, you know, one of the best of all time. But um, the, the, like, cultural reappreciation of Arl Stein just makes me love having grown up with goosebumps mm-hmm. and being a library kid, you know, like I kind of did have that sort of Matilda thing going on where life was shit at home. Mm-hmm. So I go to the library, you know, and I would pick up like, don't uh, uh, go into the basement or uh, monster blood or, you know, not a living dummy or any of the old, you know, originals. And then, uh, you know, I would, I would spend whatever money I could get at like the Scholastic Book Fair and, you know, stuff like Arl Stein's and Bruce Covell's and, you know, um, scary stories to tell in the dark and all that shit uh, was like my, you know, go to bed, turn your light off. And I'd have like the little pen light uh, flashlight <laughs> yes. reading underneath <laughs> the drawn cover, you know, and uh, everyone coming back to the the party for Arl Stein was like, one of those things I loved seeing 
and what's fun too is i i really loved his work so much mm-hmm. uh with the original run of goosebumps um that i looked to find some of his other work um so like fear street you know uh the, the cheerleaders trilogy and like mm. the uh silent night uh you know those were like ones that i had i read i loved them i thought they were great but there's there's an adult novel he wrote that i found in my grocery uh like clearance bin called superstition (laughs) and nobody talks about it and it's so damn good and it's mature and it's got you know 18 and up themes and scenes in the book so check out R.L. Stein's Superstition because nobody's nabbed it yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's great. It's great, man. That that was a phenomenon I loved is that everyone came back to the R.L. Stein party. Yeah. I, I hope they make, I mean, I have to hit them. That yeah. was, they did a great job. It was mm-hmm. like. All the different eras. And I, yeah. I still feel so old though. I remember be, like, oh, no. going to the mall and sitting in a B. Dalton bookstore yeah. And, just reading, and nobody knows what that is. And I'm like, oh my God, I miss those days. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. We were watching Chopping Mall last night, you know, like I mentioned. And just the whole discussion of like the the uh, aesthetic and the, the life of like being a mall kid, oh, you know, and, you know, we, we were days. chatting about it because I'm, I'm here staying with, uh, uh, even though I wish this was my normal place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, while I'm, uh, currently in Los Angeles again, uh, in Culver city, uh, I am, you know, staying with some wonderful friends, uh, Disasterina and Ave Rose. And we had an amazing, uh, time yesterday interviewing both of them for the documentary. Um, because, you know, we do want to show that representation from all different backgrounds, uh, that, you know, the love for horror can come from anywhere. And to be able to have people from the Dragula camp with us is something that I, I couldn't be more thankful for. But, you know, uh, Disasterina, uh, the most disastrous drag queen in L.A., mm-hmm. is just one of my you know favorite uh, people ever. And Ave Rose is such an amazing artist. I mean, her work, you know, that's around me is uh, fine art that I absolutely love. But um, while we're all talking about being, uh, you know, in malls during the time when B. Dalton's was actually a store still. And, you know, uh, the, the discussion goes to like, who was where I was always in the arcade or in the theater or in the food court near the, uh, uh, water fountain, you know, where were you? Because it's like telling of who's what kind of. So I I would say two places. It was definitely either B. Dalton or it would be tilt because mm. they don't make arcades like they used to. And I just because that was for a while, that was the only place where I could see like those games like Mortal Kombat or, you know. Sure. sure. And um, Dragon's was, Lair for me. That was like, God, when that came out. <sighs> Revolutionary. I love I love the old arcade. I love the, you know, grabbing some quarters and just going at it until you know a movie worth going and seeing would come on i mean spending so much time in the mall and it's it's interesting to look back on that and you know kind of like i i wouldn't want it's it was funny Ave rose was uh, talking about this saying i wouldn't want to live back in the 80s 
but I would totally love to have it back kind of thing, you know, like, and a lot of people are into that I right now. I see that. I mean, you know, honestly, I, kids don't. Who wouldn't I, want a mall like Chopping Mall back that you could go to today? That'd be us. That'd be pretty awesome. I mean, <laughs> so many malls here have like, it's sad if you walk through a mall right now. Um, Ghost towns, liminal yeah. spaces, man. Ooh. Monsters around the corner. Yeah. Everything mm-hmm. just desiccated and yeah it's uh oh man the the way that the world has has come especially with um the pandemic era and you know Mm -hmm. everything that's happened uh it's it's a lot you know and that's that's why some things do bring us together and you know like you were talking about earlier there have been a lot of people who have looked to horror right now to get them through the tough times that we're all experiencing and one of our contributors uh colton scribner um, wrote an incredible paper that made a lot of waves in the last year, talking about how horror fans, more than most, are able to cope with what's going on right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard that. I've not read that article, so I need to look into that. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely worth. It's, yeah, uh, it's it's hard to explain so i i'm i'm gonna have to look into that but it, it really is because i feel like you you learn so much about honestly isolation or just having to make it through these tough times and I, I just there's just something about it and I, it's hard to explain but some people were just going stir crazy i'm like oh, mm-hmm. i can make it it's fine well you know uh, i'll i'll say this on that um for for a previous film that i had been a producer on and uh i had you know uh seen all the way through uh to premiere and delivery and everything just you know really uh i wouldn't say great project but a project that i i put you know all of my professional level expertise and you know background into and uh everything that i did for it um during an interview with someone who's also in mental health and horror, Linnea Quigley, uh, she talked about how horror movies can give you that guide through dangerous times. And some horror movies can teach you, don't go down that dark alleyway. (laughs) Don't open that door after midnight. Don't do something that's going to put you at risk of getting killed or injured or, you know, any other number of horrors. Like there, there are lessons to be learned from horror movies that can help people navigate the rough waters of tough living and, you know, existence. And it's, it's interesting to kind of try to like, compartmentalize that because you can watch a horror movie and be like, okay, what are the lessons learned from this? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And, you know, kind of, kind of Wes Craven played with that a little bit and scream. And a lot of people kind of, you know, before meaning was a thing sort of did that, you know, with Randy's rant. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But those, those are the kind of things that like, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, Oh no, you can never have sex. You can never do drugs. You can never, uh, talk shit. It, it's like, you know, maybe don't uh, speed so fast down 
the highway that if a logging truck in front of you has an accident, all of a sudden <laughs> everything starts shooting back and destroying the, the cars. That movie has made or saved. <laughs> I mean, who? Do, I, if you don't switch lanes when you're behind totally. one, like I, that's on you. I don't know how anybody can. <laughs> The first movie like that that did that for me before Final Destination 2. And this was another kinder trauma for me that just like destroyed my sleep for months, years, however long it was. Because I, I had forgotten, you know, what it was. I had no idea. Like uh, with Linnea Quigley, you know, she was in one that I actually wrote for kindertrauma.com about um, Witchboard. Uh, witchery. Witchery. Sorry. What am I doing? It's actually uh, because witchery is uh linda blair and david hasselhoff and we talked to linda blair and she talked about how they both got cast and duped into it um because they were both called and said the other one has already signed on so they were like oh i'm in so linda was told david hasselhoff had signed on for witchery and david hasselhoff was told linda blair had signed on and they were both like yeah i'll do it and then they met on set and they're like no, I didn't sign on first. So that's a fun, like, <laughs> insider, you know, story that only, like, five people know now. Um, but uh, it was Witch Trap uh, from Kevin S. Tenney, who did Night of the Demons, which is another great favorite of mine, of Linnea's. And it's Love just it. an amazing, amazing Halloween movie. Amazing goth movie. Mm -hmm. uh, such a such a great uh, you know haunted house possession film um, and demon movie. It's it's so good, but yeah, uh, witch trap. She gets her neck. Uh, so, yes, uh -huh. yeah. So I, I wrote about that as a yes. The shower exactly. Uh, uh, you know the shower head goes boop and just takes her neck out. Um, so that that haunted me. And I wrote an article about that being a kinder trauma, uh, trauma fashion editorial. And around that time, there was a movie that I didn't know the name of it. And I saw the scene and it destroyed me. And I was trying to find it for like 25 years. And then it got released on a prestige Blu-ray from Vinegar Center. It was Beyond the Door 3. And if you know the Beyond the Door series, they are wild. Those movies are just like the first one is a total riff on The Exorcist. And it is one of the most vulgar Italian horror movies with English dubbing that I have ever oh heard. And it's so good. And then the second one was the final film of Mario Bava. And it starred uh, the late legend Daria Nicolodi, who wrote Suspiria and was responsible for Inferno and was in Phenomena and Opera. And she stars in Beyond the Door 2 under uh, some releases. It's called Shock. And the first time I ever saw it was on a double feature disc release with um, Possession, if you know the classic uh, with Isabella Gianni. And Samuel, I think I have seen that one. Oh I'm God, look so it up. yeah, and it's a it's a perfect mental health and horror movie. So Possession is my recommendation of the day. Watch uh, Andrei Zulawski's Possession. That is a you know 
mental health and horror executive producer andrew hawkins recommended must see <laughs> but beyond the door three beyond the door three is also known as a muck train because all these kids in a college class go on a field trip to budapest or somewhere you know or Budapest, as it's said in Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, from Keanu Reeves' wonderful accent. That it's so good. I love that movie. Um, so they they go on this uh, you know class trip, and they get on a train, and they are on their way to this massive uh, rebirth of the Antichrist ritual. Without spoiling everything, you know, there's this whole setup where everyone's getting killed off one by one and some of the most gruesome ways imaginable. The practical effects in this movie, I'll spoil one for you. There is a character, and I won't tell you who, but they take their hand and they pull their face down and reveal a wall of maggots underneath their skin on the sinew and muscle of, yeah. And it's so just upsetting but that's not the thing that gave me nightmares what gave me nightmares is early in the movie what yeah right i didn't get that far because the, the kill earlier yeah the kill earlier was so bad i ran out of the room right so the main character gets dropped off at the airport to go on the class trip and her mom is in the back of a taxi and they're going down the highway and some driver's going wild just you know blaring the horn and She's behind a truck that doesn't have logs on it, but like those metal square construction beam, like Ooh, 12 yeah. foot long metal, you know, uh, hollow uh, bars. And the same thing happens. The, the truck gets cut off, slams on the brakes, the uh, support, you know, lines burst. And one of those bits of metal goes right through the windshield and just right into her face. And it's a, a practical, you know, effect that just blows out blood and gore when it happens. And I, I died. I was like, my, my eight-year-old brain could not handle that. But, you know... <laughs> That was that was one that for years I had to track down and get back to. But the the Beyond the Door uh, series, uh, it's it's a it's a good time um, if you want to see the loosest continuity between any series of movies. They are all different. There's not a thread between them, and they're all under the same banner. They're they're a blast. I know what I'm going to be doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, have a great week and, you know, build up for the weekend, you know? I, I Get mean, some people around. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I actually, um, yeah, that's gonna, I've got so many films to watch, which I'll be doing all of that. I've got nothing else. So I, I'll, I don't care if this is in here, this is why. So I actually have to get surgery uh, yeah. next week. And so I'll be on recovery. And this yeah. is just all stuff I'm going to be now watching. Oh, awesome. And you I'm know, I, really excited. 
I, I've done that too. Uh, you know, that's that's the thing too, like how horror movies can be comforting mm-hmm. because, you know, if you're in like recovery or, you know, even if like you're in mourning, um, you know, you can put on a horror film that, you know, you can connect to. And, you know, sometimes like for me, uh, you know, I've, I've had some uh, uh, intensive surgeries before uh, just from injuries and work and things, you know, over the years of, you know, uh, and I, I, I've always been a fan of fever dream cinema where you're in that limbo period of watching a movie on the couch and you put on something like Lord of Illusions and you get to the next stuff and it's just like a fever dream nightmare and you can, you know, uh, wind in and out of it with, uh, you know, whether or not you're, you're conscious at the time or dealing with something like, uh, you know, meds or anything like that. Or, or like a, a bad cold, you know, if you have a fever that's just like uh, making you look like the guy in the episode of Night Gallery who got the earwig, just gaunt and covered in sweat going, <laughs> uh, you know, you put on a certain horror movie that has a little bit of a supernatural bend to it and you can just uh, have, have a blast uh, sometimes. But, you know, again, it's like it's not just restricted to horror uh sometimes comedy sometimes drama sometimes action sometimes uh sci-fi can you know be there when you need it but mm-hmm. um very much with mental health and horror you know that's our real focus and again it's all about uh the fact that if it weren't for people who were fans just like we are we wouldn't be making it and we're so thankful for the community and for everyone who has supported the documentary and you know we we really really are just like i could say you know blessed and excited and we can't wait but you know it's something that for the team that's come together to make this happen you know what we're working on and what we're going to wind up with we want it to be something that uh whoever needs it can get it and it can do as much positive as possible. Oh, I, I, I love that. Honestly, I, I, we all need something like that. And, you know, again, mental health is just so important. And I think there's also, honestly, there's sometimes a stigma around that. And I don't think people talk about it enough when they're not very open about it. And Mm. so seeing this and just, you're taking one thing that I love and also addressing something that is also very important in one's life. And so I think this is going to be incredible. I can't wait. And I can't yeah, this, wait this to- is the best work I've ever done. Uh, and I'm really proud of it. And I'm really proud of everyone who's a part of it. And I'm really thankful for everyone who's supporting it. I'm looking forward to it because, you know, we, we can't wait for you all to see it. I mean, that's, you know, again, uh, I can say that all day, but that's the truth. You know, when this is, ready for everyone it's going to be uh something that you know we're we're all going to be very very happy to put out in the world i love that i i I can't wait i i think i'm aside from michael kennedy the other one i have to say is i can't wait to see Gigi sal guerrero yes yes she she cracks me up one of the most energetic and vibrant and awesome people making movies and horror right now Gigi and bingo hell and everything that she's doing and everything that's coming 
Oh, she she is, yeah, one of the best. Yeah. I just, I can't wait because I've seen interviews and we got to chat with her and she's just a, she's a fucking blast. Yeah, so I yeah. could just imagine the energy she's going to bring. And honestly, just again, with seeing the cast list, I can't wait. I And it's, yeah. Thank so you. with that, I'm just going to say thank you. And I don't know how to end this because I'm just like, I, I've, I've loved talking to you, Taka. I really have. <laughs> this has been such a good time. <laughs> You have been listening to the Horror Hour. See you next time.